0: Welcome to this message from the Teaching Ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Orlando, Florida, under the leadership of Senior Pastor Mike Osborne. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 through 17. It's Colossians 3 12 through 17. For those of you using the Bibles under the chairs in front of you, this can be found on page 1167. When Jan and I were married 30 years ago, next April, this is the passage that pastor, pastor used in his message to us. However, it's also a very great passage for Thanksgiving, as you'll see. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tim. Let's bow
1: before the Lord and ask his blessing upon our time of study this morning. Father, thank you for this day of worship and for the gift that worship is to us. And thank you for the amazing gift of your word, the Bible. We ask as we bow before you this morning, that you will speak to our hearts, that your Holy Spirit will use this passage of God's word to stir us to new obedience in Christ, to new faith in you, and a new amazement to, to your grace that you've given to us. Bless us now, we pray, and we pray most of all that we will see Jesus together as we study your word. We pray in his name. Amen. I've been to New York City a few times. I suspect many of you have as well. Some of you perhaps have even lived in New York City or somewhere near there, and you know that city quite well. When you think of New York City, what comes to mind? Uh, Perhaps skyscrapers. The Empire State Building. The Chrysler Building, maybe, or the new World Trade Center in Lower Manhattan. Or certainly you think of some of the famous places that New York City is known for. Fifth Avenue, Broadway, Times Square, the Statue of Liberty, Grand Central Station, the UN Building. All kinds of places, just fascinating tourist spots. Perhaps you think of the red double-decker buses or the yellow taxis. Or this week, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, something like that. I'm sure many of you will be watching. But at the same time, when you think of those positive things, those things that we love about New York City, you also think of the masses, the masses of people. People of every description, every social strata, every ethnicity. You think also of the horns that are constantly blaring. The shouting, the pushing, the shoving, the getting ahead. The getting lost, the getting mugged, I mean all kinds of things that come to mind about the amazing city. And of course for our generation, New York City is reminding us of the terrorism linked to the disaster of 9-11. But right in the center of Manhattan are 843 acres of peace and of beauty called Central Park. Now I know that even in Central Park there are muggings and crime and the occasional murder, but by and large Central Park sits in calm contrast to the chaos and the loudness and the rancor and the craziness that is New York City. There's music in Central Park. There's a zoo in Central Park. There's a beautiful lake in Central Park where you can ride a boat and ride a kayak. You can ice skate in Central Park. There are playgrounds for kids, 21 of them, I believe. There's art to see scattered throughout the park. There's sculpture in Central Park. There are these beautiful bridges that you can gaze at and walk under and enjoy. People throughout the park are painting, walking, running, playing chess, playing music. You know, all of those different pursuits inside the park. There's a big carousel in Central Park. On and on and on. What a beautiful place. What a beautiful spot in the midst of the craziness of New York City. Central Park was designed by Frederick Law Olmsted, whom you may have heard about from some of his other achievements in our country, as well as his lesser-known partner, Calvert Vaux. About Central Park, Olmsted said this, It is one of the great purposes of the park to supply to the hundreds of thousands of tired workers who have no opportunity to spend their summers in the country a specimen of God's handiwork that shall be to them what a month or two in the White Mountains or the Adirondacks is to those in easier circumstances. Hear those words again. A specimen of God's handiwork. Like spending a month or two in the White Mountains or the Adirondacks. When I think about Central Park, I think immediately that it's a metaphor. There's an analogy there that I'm trying to drive at. Because the world today is kind of like New York City. It's filled with noise and division and trouble and hatred all around. From the divisiveness that we've just come through, probably the most divisive election of certainly our lifetimes, if not American history, to the rocket attacks that are going on even as we sit here in our safe room of worship in Jerusalem and in Tel Aviv and in the Gaza Strip. Our world is a place of constant confusion and conflict, feuding and fighting. But in the midst of this strife, in the midst of the chaos and the confusion of this world, stands one place meant to be, in Olmstead's words, A specimen of God's handiwork. A place where people from every place in the world, a place where people of every stripe and of every description can actually get together and love each other. A place where people who are vastly diverse can gather together to work together for the kingdom of God and to advance the gospel and make disciples of all nations. I'm talking, of course, to that place, that people called the church verse 15 of our text says, let the peace of Christ rule or govern or hold sway in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. The church of Jesus Christ is that place of peace that stands in a calm way in the midst of the craziness of this world to say that God is real, that the gospel is true, and that men and women and boys and girls can enjoy the peace of christ the church is meant to be that place where people see the nature of god revealed here at upc we are going through a time of change what does that mean it means that we're looking at changes in our pastoral callings change is always always uncomfortable A lot of us like change. Some of us are a little more resistant to change. But in every single case, change means that people are going to start asking questions. People are going to feel anxiety. We're going to feel unsettled. We're going to carry that confusion into our conversations. And sometimes this kind of change could divide people like us. People who love one another. There's not a manual for what we're doing. It's new. (laughs) It's kind of different. I've never heard of it happening where a senior pastor stays on board, moves to an associate pastor, associate pastor moves into senior spot, associate pastor being much younger than senior pastor. These kinds of changes are challenging to us. Satan, as Pete mentioned earlier in his little presentation, Satan would love nothing more than to work his way into our loving fellowship and use this time of change to make us lose focus maybe begin to distrust one another or start going backward instead of forward, we could react to this time of change like the world might handle this time of change instead of handling like the people of God and showing the world what Jesus looks like. So what do we need to do? Two things as we navigate this time of transition. Two things we need to do. Number one, we need to trust a sovereign God. I know that that's a cliche, but God is truly in control. He knows what he's doing. He knows where we're supposed to be. He knows how to get us there. We can trust him. I think the hymn says on Christ the solid rock I stand, not on Mike Osborne, not on Matt Ryman, not on one or more people. The, our, we stand on the solid rock of Christ who is in charge, and he is wise and he is good. So let's trust that sovereign God. But the second thing that I want to address this morning is we need to act like God's people. We need to act like God's people. The passage before us today is a call to be a certain kind of people. It's a call to be different from the world. And essentially, this text is a call to be who we are. Now, we didn't read the first part of Colossians 3, but perhaps if we had, you would have noticed that the first part of chapter 3 of Colossians is a display of our new identity in Christ. It tells us who we are, who God has recreated us to be. Up there in verse 1, it says that we've been raised with Christ. And then Paul goes on in verse 3 to say that we have died with Christ. And in verse 9, he says we've taken off our old self And verse 10, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of its creator. So that's who we are, thanks to the redeeming work of Christ on the cross. And now, when he gets to verse 12, he says, Therefore, therefore, in light of your new identity, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Put on, says Paul, like a suit of clothes, what God has already hung up in your closet. Be who you are. Wake up every morning with this constant choice on your mind to do the things that show your new identity, that are in harmony with who God has recreated you to be. Strive, in other words, to be the new people of God, that He, through redemption, has made us to be. So what I want to do is flesh that out, that second thing that we're supposed to do as we negotiate this time of change. Being the people of God. What does that exactly look like? What kind of people do we need to be as we go through this stage in our history? Well, it occurs to me as I look at Colossians 3, three things that we are to be. First, be gracious. Second, be genuine. And third, be grateful. Three words start with G. Easy to remember, right? Let's dive in. What kind of people do we need to be as we go through this time of change? The first thing is we need to be gracious. We need to be a gracious people. Look with me at verse 13. It says in that verse, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Be gracious. I don't know that I've told you about my grandchildren lately, have I? So it's time to do that again. This is a picture of the hands, the little pudgy hands, of my two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter named Lucy. She lives up in Jacksonville with my daughter Jennifer and her husband Tim. And as I say, Lucy's about two-and-a-half years old. And this is a picture that Jennifer posted on Facebook recently that shows uh, Lucy coloring this picture. But the thing that's striking about it is She's actually doing a pretty good job, right? She's coloring inside the lines, basically. And so, of course, as proud granddaddy, I'm very proud of her and boastful of her and so on like that. Never an artist like Lucy. But here's the point. Before she started coloring basically within the lines, Lucy was all over the page, right? She was grabbing the crayon and rubbing it all over the page. It was nowhere near the picture to our eyes, to hers maybe it was. But now, look, she's almost there. But my daughter never got mad at her for doing this. She just, yay, way to go, Lucy. You're coloring. Look at that great picture. She was gracious toward my granddaughter. It would have been horrendous for my daughter to be mad at her because Lucy went outside the lines. It would have been terrible. It would have been abusive for my daughter to do that to her daughter. And in the same way, not a one of us ever colors within the lines perfectly. We are a broken people. We sin. We break the Ten Commandments often that we just finished studying about a couple couple of weeks ago. We are people who don't color within the lines. We are people who make great mistakes. And yet God in His grace has dealt with us graciously by sending His Son Jesus to bear the punishment that you and I deserved. He colored inside the lines on our behalf and so God considers His obedience our obedience and He considered our sin His Son's sin. That's the Gospel. That's what it means for God to have treated you and me in such grace. And so Paul calls us to share that same kind of grace with one another. Notice in this verse 13 the reality of grievances. It says very boldly that We're supposed to bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances we may have against one another. In other words, Paul is assuming that there are going to be times when there is conflict inside the church. When there are things about which we differ with each other. We're going to have questions, for example, about this change that we're going through. We're bound to have hesitations about it and differing opinions. But the basis of our unity is not agreement. The basis of our unity is not unanimity. The basis of our unity is Christ and Christ alone. That's why we don't have to be unanimous about everything. This is why we can have debate and belong to different political parties and and take different sides on different uh, theological issues. Because in one big respect, you and I are exactly alike. We have not colored inside the lines. And God in His grace has come to us in Christ and given us His wonderful gift of grace. Since we have received that grace from God, we are to give it to each other. The Greek word for grace is charis. Charis. It's the root word of our word charity. That's the Greek word for grace. Well, guess what the root word of forgive is in verse 13? That's right. Charis grace. To forgive another person means to cancel their debt. It means to let them off the hook. It means to let them go. To forgive means to say to another person with whom you have a grievance or with, him, with whom you even have a differing opinion, you're safe with me. I trust you. You trust Me. I will not expect payment for your sin against Me, if that's what it was. I will not even the score. And that's what God did for us in Christ. He did not exact payment from us. Instead, He let His Son pay the debt that we could never pay. So what God is saying in this verse here is, go do likewise. As God has given grace to us, let grace abound at UPC. I'm confident that if we live that way, if we live as gracious people, there's nothing we can't handle. There's nothing we can't get through. We will get through this time of change closer to knowing what God's will is, closer to obeying what He is calling us to do, and a better people. So first, if we would navigate this time of change as God's people, let's be be gracious. Secondly, Let's be genuine. Let's be genuine with each other. Look at verse 16. It says in that verse, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Notice the word admonish. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. As I look at that word admonish, I I see that this verse is calling us to be a people of humble truthfulness. Honesty. Being genuine with each other. Telling it like it is. Because you know what often goes on in churches? I've seen it. I suspect that you have as well in your various churches that you've been in in your background. What goes on in most churches, or in many churches at least, is submerged conflict. Kind of a low-lying level of submerged conflict that is never dealt with. You know what I mean? People avoiding each other people not looking each other in the eye or raising the hard questions or talking about people's sins, uh, speaking negatively about somebody else, holding negative images of someone else in their minds, gossiping, talking about someone behind his or her back. That is not Christianity. That's not the church being like Central Park to the world. That's not the church being that place of peace and of refreshment in the midst of a chaotic world. No, God has enabled us by his grace to be a people who can be genuine with one another. And in fact, if in fact the word of Christ has taken up residence among us, as that verse says, it will call us to speak directly to each other and work things out with honesty. Think again about that word admonish in verse 16. It means to warn or sometimes it means to reprove or give advice or give someone a caution. We should be doing that in our church. Life groups, Bible studies, one-on-one. Admonishment is part of the church. This means that if you have a problem with someone, if you have a grievance or a concern about someone, The Bible says you go to him, you go to her, and you speak directly what's on your heart. You don't hope it'll just dissolve and go away. You don't let it sit there and simmer and fester and get worse and worse. You don't go to somebody else and talk about it instead of going to the person that concerns you. You take it to him, you take it to her. And you speak with genuineness from your heart. Ephesians 4:15 says speaking the truth in love we will in all things grow up into him who is the head even Christ. So this sermon is not just for this time of change this is for all times we should be the people of God who out of our new identity love each other enough to be honest with each other directly speaking to one another honestly talking things through respecting one another's opinions so during this time of change, what should we do to apply that? We need to be honest about our questions. As we said earlier, the elders are going to gather in that back corner after the, uh, after the service is over. Talk to them about your questions. They are there to walk you through things, to learn from you, and hopefully you will learn something from them as well. Talk to one another about these changes that we're contemplating. Listen to one another carefully and respect what they say. If we're genuine with one another, I am very confident that we're going to get through this and emerge on the other side a more loving people, a better people, a stronger church, a people more faithful to our mission of making disciples. But we have to be genuine. So as we go through this time of change, these times when we're anxious and unsettled perhaps, We are to be gracious, we are to be genuine, and the third and last place, we are to be grateful. Let's be a grateful people. Three times in this passage that I read, that Tim read rather, Paul says to be grateful. Second half of verse 15, three little words, and be thankful. Second half of verse 16, Paul says, as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts. And then in verse 17, he says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You notice three times there that emphasis on being grateful. Grateful for what? Everything. 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 Your religious liberties, your family, your friends, Your answered prayers and your unanswered prayers. The gifts God has given you and the gifts God has taken away. The things you have as well as the things you don't have. Grateful for everything. Thankful for UPC and the 21 years that God has been our shepherd. Leading us through to have the mission that we have. Thankful for your brothers and your sisters in Christ. See, the more we give thanks, the more time we spend thinking about how good God has been to us, the more we will be at peace with one another, the more we will be at peace within ourselves, and the more we will be unified. I uh, lived for a time in the mid-80s in St. Louis. That's where I went to seminary and served my first church up there. And in our church, there was a custodian named Alex. And Alex came from a very humble, poor background. And this job that he had as our custodian was very menial. His job every day was to arrive at 8 or 8.30 and spend the entire day sweeping and mopping and cleaning toilets. We had a Christian school in this church as well. And so he had to set up rooms, clean up messes, take care of emergencies. It was a very thankless job. But the thing about Alex that struck me, he was a believer in in Jesus. Every time you asked Alex, how are you doing? His reply was always one word. Grateful. How are you doing today, Alex? Grateful. How are you, Alex, this morning? Grateful. What's going on in your life, Alex? I'm grateful. Consistently, he was grateful. Where does that come from? Where does that come from when you're in this menial job, when you're not getting the world's attention, when you don't have a lot of stuff? He was quite poor. Where does that come from? It comes from being rooted and grounded in the gospel. Paul says in verse 12, That we are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Friends, that is the gospel. That is the good news. That you are part of God's elect if you're His child. The God of all creation has chosen you on whom to shower His affection. And you are considered holy by Him. That is perfectly righteous. Clothed in the righteousness of Christ, so that when God looks at you, He says He sees His Son. And, and you're dearly loved, it's the Greek word agape, a love that is self-giving and self-sacrificing. You are loved with an everlasting love, the love of God Himself, adopted into His family as His child. Do you understand how transforming it will be if you will just get a bigger and bigger glimpse of the got of the gospel? the fact that you are one of those chosen ones, that you are holy and that you are dearly loved, do you understand how transforming that would be for us collectively if we dwelled on that thought and got bigger and bigger images of the gospel? My goodness, do you see what a blessing we would be to the people of East Orlando simply by being a people who are gracious with each other, who are genuine in our relationships And who are always grateful, like my friend Alex. What an amazing gift that would be to the world around us. See, the church is supposed to be like Central Park is to New York City. The one place on earth where people can go and see a specimen of God's handiwork. A a, a display of His own character. a, A manifestation of the peace that He gives people. The church is supposed to be that place Jesus didn't die on the cross just to save you from your sins. He did do that, but he also died on the cross in order to build or create a new kind of society, a humanity of diverse people who know how to treat one another with grace, who know how to be honest with each other, and who know how to always give thanks in our worship and in our conversation. There's a lot at stake here, guys. There's a lot at stake in these days that we have to go before us. We dare not let sin on our part, on my part and your part. And we dare not let Satan distract us from our mission of making disciples. And so because of the importance of this matter, let's go through, let's negotiate, let's talk, let's treat each other with grace and genuineness and gratitude. Let's also do the other thing I said. Trust a sovereign God. And there is no doubt that He is with us. He is our Emmanuel and He will lead us through. So clothe yourselves, as Paul says, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Let the peace of Christ rule among you, since as members of one body, you and I were called to peace. And be thankful. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for speaking to us this morning from your word about how we are to live as your people, living out of this wonderful new identity that you've given us in Christ. But Father, I know for sure that I am very given to not coloring inside the lines. I know that I am very prone to give in to the flesh. And so are all of us. And so we pray, O God, that you will protect us and lead us and be our shepherd through this time of discussion. We pray that in each of our attitudes, there will be a submission to the leading of your spirit and and a teachable spirit toward one another. Lord, help us to treat one another with grace, to let each other off the hook, to communicate safety to one another. Help us, Lord, to be honest and genuine with each other as we we think about what questions we have. Help us to know that it's okay to ask. And then, Father, help us be always grateful. Grateful for the insights of others. Grateful for the decisions that are eventually going to be made. Grateful for the fact that we deal not with a weak God, a small God, but a, a God who is big and mighty and sovereign. A God who knows the future and knows how to get us there. Father, we pray that we will be one, that we will be a place and a people where peace and joy and unity are made manifest to this mixed-up, chaotic world. Father, help us to be mindful that we're to be that beautiful park, that people that show the world what You look like. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: We at University Presbyterian Church thank you for listening to this message. Our mission is to help people know God, grow together, and serve others. To learn
1: more about the church or how to have a vital relationship with God, visit our website
0: at www.upc-orlando.com or call our offices at 407-384-3300.